This is Taste for Tenacity, show number eight. Lady, where your pants gone? Yeah. I'ma make you dance to my dance song. Oh, lady. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ben Trella, and this is Taste for Tenacity. This week on the show, I am joined by Gino Barbaro. Uh, Gino is a real estate investor, an author, and a business owner. Uh, he's written Wheelbarrow Profits and Family Food and the Friars. And he also is one of the co-hosts of the Wheelbarrow Profits podcast. Uh, Gino, welcome to the show. Ben, thank you for having me on. And you must be Italian because you nailed my last name. So that's good to know. Sweet. All right. I'm not, <laughs> but I practice. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious. On the, uh, on the Jake and Gino website, it says that it was founded by a drug rep and a pizza guy. Which one are you? I am the pizza guy. Okay. How did that transition take place? <laughs> well, I mean, back in 2008, the Great Recession comes around and I hate what I'm doing, working more, making less. I've got a big family and I just don't like my job anymore. I liked it in the very beginning and um, I can blame anybody. I can blame Obama. I can blame Bush. Doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> got to take hold and be responsible for our own lives. And I met Jake through the restaurant because he was actually a pharmaceutical rep. The Sunshine Act comes along. So all of a sudden he sees himself getting downsized through healthcare and he's doing drug food orders out of my restaurant, bringing him to doctor's offices and selling pharmaceuticals to them. So we get together in 2011 and say, you know what? You hate your job. I hate my job. We can do something better. Real estate makes no sense up here in New York. He's moving down to Knoxville. Perfect. Let's get together. Numbers make sense down there. 18 months after, we, after he moves down there, we find our first deal. Then it took us 18 months to get our first deal. So it wasn't like a walk in the park. And I had a ton of education. I had done other real estate. So um, it took a little while. But the tenacity and the patience and the persistence and, and the pain that I was feeling in my job and the pain that Jake was feeling, uh, listen, we just, we just you know, held on and we found the deal. Definitely. So uh, you said around 2008, you hated your job. Mm -hmm. uh, what were you doing and what got you into it in the first place? So back in 1992, I graduated college a long time ago, right? Graduated from Fairfield. Everyone thinks the economy was bad in 08. 92 was just as bad. Couldn't find a job. So I went to work for AIG when AIG was a great company, but it was painful. I was doing reinsurance accounting. It was like watching the paint dry on the wall. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a great business. They make a ton of money, but it's boring as hell. Um, I was there for a year. I just hated sitting in a cubicle waiting for people to do, tell me to do stuff. So I ended up buying a restaurant with my father, which is what my dad had done. So we bought a restaurant. My dad had his and I had mine. I bought it with my mom and my brother and it was an awesome cash cow. For the next 15 years up until 2008, it was great. When the recession came, that's why I mentioned that date, everything seemed like it shifted. I mean, it just seemed like the internet took off. It seemed like all of a sudden business was different. All of a sudden you had to start delivering food. All of a sudden there was a lot less cash coming in the door. It was all credit cards. So margins started slipping. All of a sudden all these profits and as we had, all of a sudden Whole Foods comes out and you can go pick up prepared foods. A lot of different competition coming around. And when you're a mom and pop and you have one location and you're feeding two or three families out of it, it gets tougher and tougher. So that's why I nominated 2008. I love the business. I just didn't look at as as a scalable business at the time. I didn't understand that when you're getting into business, you need to get into a business that you can scale. And if you can't scale a business, don't even waste your time because all you're going to be doing is getting a high paying job. Definitely. So you were you kind of started as a an accountant. 
you were doing accounting at AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was kind of more of a passive role from what it seems like where you were just waiting on people uh, to tell you what to do rather than being able to take action on your own. Totally. When you're in corporate at that job, I mean, I, I was working in 99 John down in, down in uh, downtown. I was actually there in the 93 bombing. Remember the World Trade Center bombing back in 93? I was leaving the office and, and that occurred and I was right down the street. Wall Street was right down the street. The Twin Towers was right down there. So that was one of the things I said, I don't want to work in New York City anymore. I hate the commute. I hate the city. This is pre-Giuliani. Uh, it was Dinkins. It was just, the city was awful. And it's reverting back to it now. So, I mean, I just didn't want to be in that area. Too much negative energy, too many people for me. So I said, let me, you know, let me get the bull by the horns, as they say, and let me just take destiny into my own hands. Let me open up a business, as you said, the entrepreneur. And I really liked it. I mean, I liked working hard. I loved the restaurant. Great connections with people. I love to cook. But I always looked at it as more of a job and not really as that Robert Kiyosaki would say. I had, I was a self-employed. I was not building a business. Yeah. So if you, you know, the difference there really seems like is if you walk away from it, whatever type of business you build, if you walk away and it can continue to operate, it's considered a business versus just being self-employed and owning your own job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Totally. And the other problem was even if you don't want to walk away and you want to continue to grow it, you want to be able to at least hire people and put them in place to do what you're doing and you work on the business, you know, not, not in it, but you need to work on it. And that's hard for a lot of young people to, to make sense. And it's hard, it was hard for me at the time. I needed to be in the kitchen. I needed to wash dishes. I needed to do all that. I didn't think I could hire or delegate that out. So I had one restaurant for 20 years and in five years I've accumulated over 1400 apartment units. doesn't make any sense, but it does when you look back at it, because now I've been able to delegate the responsibility. We've created a company called Jake and Gino that does education. We're doing a syndication company. We have a property management company. We have a mortgage company now. So as I've started to grow as a person, you're able to actually delegate. And when you can learn the skill set once, it's easy, replicable, and duplicatable. But you just need to start as quickly as possible. You need to make those mistakes. And you need to learn from those mistakes. Yeah. So when you're building your own business, you need to focus on kind of charting the course of where things are going to run rather than tweaking every little component. It's, it's about bringing in people you trust. Um, the best advice that I can give anybody out there is commit and then figure it out. You commit to what you need to do and then you're going to figure it out because there's a lot of people out there that have analysis paralysis. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? If you know 80% of what you need to do, just commit. And then if you're a person that makes it happen, you will figure it out. And that's what, you know, basically my course of action. And I'm still doing it to this day. I want everyone to know out there, you, everyone thinks that everyone else has their stuff in order. Let me give you a little tip. Everyone's winging it. We are all winging it. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's great about being an entrepreneur is because you don't know what's going to happen from day to day. I hated the restaurant because it became so mundane because it was so rhythmic. Tuesday, fish order came in. Wednesday, the produce came in. Wednesday night, there's a dinner rush. And it became so mundane. But with Jake and Gino, every day I'm coaching different students. We're going to different events. I'm creating different content. I'm doing three podcast shows a week. It's just different. I'm adding a lot of value to people. And and the bottom line is in a business, if you can add value to a lot of people, you're going to make a lot of money. And that's what the bottom line is. With the restaurant, I had one. I was on the path to creating it because I'd written a cookbook. I had been doing some physical products. I had been doing some educational videos. I was on that path. My brother just wasn't there with me. Um, Unfortunately, for me, fortunately, because I didn't want to work the restaurant anymore. So to have that physical space location was great. But to actually build a brand was, it was actually a lot of fun. And I took a lot of that skill set and a lot of that knowledge. And I was able to create, you know, behind you, Jake and Gino. So it was a great learning lesson for me. Yeah. So there's really two pieces, it seems like, kind of came, 
came together at that 2008 point in time. It was number one, you started to recognize there was a shift in the overall economy, in the overall business to where a lot of your you know, revenue sources, a lot of the ways you were getting paid started to kind of disintegrate and disappear mm-hmm. as technology evolved and as it really matured. And the other piece is you started to recognize you weren't comfortable with where you, you were at. What was, what was that like? What, what kind of went through your head as you started to notice, ah, I'm not the right fit for AIG or I'm not the right fit for the restaurant? Well, I mean, it, it comes down to becoming clear. We all need clarity on what we want to become. And I figured out what my why was. I actually went to life coaching school. I became a certified life coach. And that helped me out tremendously because if you can figure out you know, what your why is, you're going to figure out how to do it because you're not going to quit. So my, was basic, my why for me was basically, I've got six kids. I want to be a good role model for them. I wanted to teach them what it was to earn money and to be able to give money and not to be worrying about where's my next paycheck, where's my next money. Because ironically enough, as you make more money, you worry about money less. It doesn't make any sense to me. Now that I'm making more money, I don't have to worry about paying the bills. I can worry about growing the business. Profit is the fuel. It's not the destination. For me, it was the reverse when I was in the restaurant. Profit was the destination, not the fuel. I was always thinking about what we're going to make at the end of the week. Now, if I make money at the end of the month, great. If I don't, it's okay. I've got enough put aside that I can reinvest into the business. So it's really ironic. I would you know, challenge everybody out there to actually look up life coaching. Get with a certified life coach and work out and try to see what your why is. Try to see how you can be clear in your life, what you want, what your values are. Align your values with your beliefs because basically goals are your objectives plus your beliefs. So if your beliefs don't align with your goals, it's not going to happen. For instance, for me, I am not a roadshow guy. I can't go away every weekend and be this Jake and Gino Spurks person and be on the road all the time because that, that is in direct confrontation with who I am. I'm a father. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I need to be home with my family. I can do it once a month, but I can't do it every weekend. And if I start doing it every weekend, I can hit the goal of a revenue number, but I'm not going to hit the goal of, of, you know, of, of a life number, if that makes any sense. Yeah. If, you don't, if you're not clear about what you actually care about, you can't focus in on it and act on it. That's right. Correct. Okay. So you leave the restaurant, it sounds like, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you leave the restaurant in 2008-ish. Uh, nope. Got, nope. Let's, fa- let's fast forward. 2008, I had the realization. It took me several years. We bought our first property in 2013. Um, 2015, I said to myself, I need to start weaning myself off. So I didn't jump off a cliff and go, I'm done. So in October of 2015, I said to my brother, I'm going to take the week off and I'll work on Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the restaurant. So for six months from October of 2015 to March of 2016, I was basically working seven days a week. Um, and it was good for me because on the week, during the week, I do my podcast. I do a lot of you know, underwriting deals, uh, property management, all that stuff. And on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would work at the restaurant. So I was what they call the 10% entrepreneur. I don't know if you ever heard of that book. You don't have to jump into your passion all at once. You can take time and start building the skill set. And when you think you're ready, that's when it was. So for me, it took me a few more months. Maybe my fear, maybe the, the fact that I needed to make a little bit more, more money than the average person because I had a bigger family, more responsibilities. I was living in New York. Uh, I said to myself, oh, let's take a time. So March of 2016, I left the restaurant and went into the real estate in Jake and Gino full-time. And then in June of 2017, I left New York, packed up the family, and I moved down to Florida. So big life shift, big change in my life. Yeah, and it took nine years to make that shift from 2008, the realization, to 2017, the move. It does, because it takes a lot of time for a person to build into something else. You don't become overnight. You know, you don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. And I wasn't the person I was supposed to be back in 2008. It just, I wasn't there. 
And it's okay. I mean, like you might ask me, well, what can I change in my past? I don't know what to change because everything works out is worked out now. I, maybe I should have started sooner. I don't know, but maybe I wouldn't have had as many kids. I, I don't know what that is. I like my life right now, so I wouldn't change anything right now. But if I had to go back and talk to myself when I was younger, I would have said to myself, focus on becoming financially free. Don't focus on your passion because when you become financially free, that's when you can start serving people. That's when you can start about worry about not paying the bills and actually giving back. Always have that give back mentality. But when you're worried about putting food on the table and paying the bills and struggling, how can you help others? You can't help others. You can only focus on yourself. And that's what happens. So when you become financially free, you can get on a coaching call with somebody not charged and you can give money away. You can spend time on the podcast at nighttime after you've had a long day because it doesn't matter. That's what I want to do. You can do what you want when you become financially free. So I always tell people, focus on becoming financially free, whatever that is, and then start focusing and start trying to find out what your sole purpose in life is. Yeah, it seems like you can only help people from a position of strength yourself. You can only help people once you get your life right. I think so. I mean, you can still help others even when you're not, but not to the same extent. I mean, I was up in New York for two weeks, um, went to a wedding. My daughter had her confirmation up there. I had a lot of friends up there. I was able to fly people there. I was able to spend money there. I was able to do certain things. If I wasn't able, if I was working or I couldn't afford it, then I couldn't do that at, at that at that level that I did. So you can still help others, but the focus more is on you when you're when you're struggling. When I was struggling with the restaurant, it was hard for me to focus on others. When I was one, you know, having to work week by week and that paycheck by check paycheck, it was tough. Yeah, because that helping others couldn't be your focus. It was all about just yep. getting by. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you uh, got together with Jake uh, mm-hmm. and you kind of realized that you want to start to build out a real estate portfolio. Uh, you said it took about 18 months between your, uh, you know, the conception of this idea and actually landing your first property. Uh, mm-hmm. What pulled you into real estate and what was that 18 month period like? So very simply, what pulled me into real estate was I wanted to create quote unquote passive income. Um, but I did not want to fix and flip. I already had a restaurant job. So I said, you know what? Multifamily is great. I had bought a fourplex back in 2002 in New York. But as I was looking at the market in New York, it didn't make sense. The property taxes, the insurance, the labor costs, the per door unit, it just did not make sense up there. So that's why I drove me to multifamily. I said, it's more scalable, more units under management. I can buy one 25-unit property instead of buying 25 scattered homes. It was, a, it was at the time, I didn't realize it, but it's a business where you can actually build a business and have multiple streams of revenue from that one revenue source, from that one uh, apartment complex. And that's what really drove me to real estate. And, you know, full disclosure, went to a couple coaching programs. I spent a lot of money on my education and I would tell everybody to do that. If you're serious about an occupation, we go to college for four years, we get an education in college. Then we go to a job and we get trained by a job. If you're seriously thinking about doing it full time or actually committing thousands of dollars to an investment, the best thing you can do is don't go Google stuff, find a mentor, find somebody who's doing it and follow what they're doing and you'll shorten your learning curve. And when you have a problem or mistake or something going on, you can ask somebody what to do. So I would recommend everybody out there to go look up, you know, multifamily investing if that's what you want to do or single family home or even stock investing. Get somebody who's done it before, see what system they use and try to replicate what they're doing. What's a good way to go about finding those mentors? 
Um, well, if you go, let's say for instance, in real estate, just go on real estate and Google bigger pockets, go on their site. They've got a lot of resources, a lot of people on there who ask on there. You can go onto Quora, you can go onto LinkedIn, just Google the person's name. If you Google Jake and Gino, you'll see our reviews pop up. You'll see the kind of persons. It's just like when you're making an investment with a sponsor, you have to vet the sponsor. I mean, if you're really that crazy, do a criminal and credit, credit background check on the person just to see if they're legitimate. And once you start asking around, you'll see if they're good or not. You'll see all the, uh, you, know, you know, in our space, in the guru space, a lot of us get a bad rap for, from a couple of people, but you'll see if it's recurring, if it's a recurring theme. If you keep seeing the same things pop up, that's when you know it's, a, it's not a good, not, won't be a good fit for you. It's like kind of pick, it's kind of like picking out a restaurant where you have to dig through the <laughs> reviews a little bit. Yes, you do. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, most of them lead with, um, you know, what we can do for you. I think every educator should say, what do you need from us? Basically, you know, we want to see what where you are. Maybe it's not a good fit for us. I wouldn't sell education to a student who was on the fence with multifamily, who wasn't all bought in and who wasn't financially capable and who wasn't there mentally prepared and who didn't prepare a goal setting exercise and who didn't want to really, really, you know, motivated to work with us because, that's, that's a recipe for, for a disaster. I can teach you everything you want. Your mechanics are 80%. The psychology is, is, I'm sorry, the mechanics are 20%. Cap rates, cash on cash return. The psychology is the majority of it. It's all up here. If you think you can do it and you're ready to do it and you find someone like Jake and Gino, we can teach you what to do. So that's what you're really looking for. You really have to look at yourself first, see if you're ready, and then go out and see who can actually help you with, with your goals. Yeah, it's kind of like 95 and five. It's 95% of life is what happens between your ears. And the other 5% is simply what happens in the world that you can't control anyway. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well said. So then you build out uh, this real estate portfolio starting in 2000, what year? About? 2013. 2013. Okay. Uh, and you started, you got your first property in 18 months. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Just the constant, you know, boots on the ground trying to get things moving. Well, it was great that I had chosen Jake. We, had, we, we were fortunate enough that Jake lived in a great market, right? Um, he was the boots on the ground. The 25 units were all in one location. So he was managing it. Uh, we were doing self-management. So he was collecting his own management fee. So it helped him leave his pharmaceutical job a lot quicker. Um, it was a weekly rental place. So there was a lot of heavy lifting, um, about a year and a half to actually get the property up and repositioned all new tenants, monthly tenants. But three months after that first deal, we had acquired our second deal. In July, we closed on our second deal, which was 36 units. So then, you know, that's what I'm saying. It might take you a long time to start, but once you start, the momentum, you have people calling you, you have a broker relationship, the banker knows you, investors know you, and you have that comfort level, and all of a sudden, they know you as a closer. So we, you know, within three months, we got our second deal closed, and within six months of that, in February of 2014, we had closed on a 136-unit property. So within the first year of starting, we had 200 units, uh, Jake and I, and another partner, his name is Mike, um, no syndication, it was all our own money, um, and up to 1,000 units, we had not tried syndication. So the first 1,000 units was all internal refinancing, rolling money proceeds back into it. So just really creating a framework, buy right, manage right, and finance right. That's what we multifamily is. It's very simple when you break it down. You need to buy the properties right. If you don't buy them on the front end, it's going to be difficult. You need to get 
great financing. And once those two legs are fixed, the third one is manager, right, which is in constant motion. So that's what we, that's what our acronym is. And we've passed on a lot of deals in the last couple of years because we just know that we need to buy this thing right. Because if when the economy turns, you want the thing to be able to cash flow to pay the mortgage. You don't want to over lever, which is what a lot of people are doing. There's a lot of stupid money out there. You have a lot of people with 1031 money who are buying these assets. We have a lot of money from overseas coming in, uh, bidding up the assets. And, and overall, the rental uh, space is, is, is going to be growing. I mean, you have millennials that are still renting who like to rent or transitional. They're not buying. They're putting off on having households. So the household formation is older, so they're going to rent longer. You have baby boomers saying, I don't need this $300,000 house. I'm going to sell it and downsize and rent. So it's really a perfect storm. And the affordable housing crisis is here. There's not enough affordable housing units being built. So that's why multifamily, I think, in my opinion, is going to continue to grow. If anything, um, artificial intelligence and technology is going to help our space. It's not going to take jobs away from it. We all need a place to live. We can't live in the internet. You know, I feel sorry for all these box stores and all these retail and office because you're going to have the WeWorks of the world. You're going to have, you know, live working out of your house and you're going to have Amazon delivering stuff. Why do you need to go to the mall? Malls are basically dead unless they decide to really revolutionize it and make it a fun place to go and make it a water park or whatever the heck it is. And by the way, I've no one's going to go to a mall anymore. No one's going to go to these strip malls anymore. And people don't understand that. So that's why multifamily, I think people understand that going forward. It'll always be here. It's always a, a basic human need. Yeah, you're kind of riding the wave uh, of change like you did back in 2008 when you realized that things mm -hmm. started to shift and you recognize that early on. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the other thing. The only other space that I feel really 100% comfortable in, in in real estate is maybe self-storage problem with self-storage is you know when there's an, a recession, a big recession, people are going to cut back on that $300 a month self-storage unit. They say it doesn't happen. I mean, down in Florida here, you need self-storage. There's, there's no basements here. But on average, if you're upstate in New York and you're in a recession, you lose your job, you're out of self-storage. You still need a place to live. And when there's a recession, you can't get a mortgage. So what are you going to do? You can't buy a house. So what are you going to do? You're going to rent. So that's why multifamily keep coming, keep harping back on that. Um, there may be other spaces of uh, real estate that I might be forgetting right now. I mean, retail, I think it's tough. I think office space right now going forward, unless you're in a great location where jobs are coming in and the economy is expanding, I think that's okay. Single family homes right now, I think they're tapped out. I, I think we're at the top for single family homes. I don't see them going up anymore. They're not the ATM machines back in the 80s when people were using them to uh, you know, pull money out. I think people say that's not the American dream. You buy a home for 300 grand, you better be putting away five or $6,000 in CapEx to keep that house fixed up. So whatever your principal pay down is, it's going back in to fix that AC or to repair that roof or whatever. I think millennials are smart enough to know that they can't do the work, so they've got to hire people out. Whereas our grandparents and our parents would do it themselves, so they, they waste time instead of money, which is even worse. So I, you know, that's why I say to myself, if you're going to buy a house, great. Just understand that it's not an investment. Enjoy it. Love it. Have memories. Have dreams. Build on it. Hopefully, if you're in it for 20 years, you might have paid the mortgage down, but it's probably one of the worst investments you'll ever make. But that's okay. It's not an investment. It's supposed to be for the family. You're supposed to jump in the pool. Enjoy it. But don't think that you're going to get rich or it's an investment because it is not. Yeah, it's kind of a money pit. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because it seems like multifamily. So buying those larger 25 plus unit complexes mm -hmm. is really a good fit for what you're looking for because it allows you to find people whose skills complement yours. It allows you to find the good managers. It allows you to find the good partners who can take those roles that don't necessarily fit your values and your lifestyle. 
I love that point. That's a great point. People come to me and say, you know what? I can't get into multifamily because I don't have enough for a down payment or I'm waiting for the market to turn. Two fallacies. The first one is if you're not educated, you won't know when the market turns. And when it does turn, hopefully you've been educated and you've created a team in the market where you're investing in so you can actually capitalize on the, on the downturns. The second thing is you can get into multifamily in so many different ways. Do you want to buy your own deals? Fine, buy your own deals like Jake and I did. You need some capital, you can do some creative financing. That's one way to do it. Next way, if you're a broker, maybe roll over some of your commissions into the deal. The next way you want to do it, you want to syndicate a deal, you can raise private money and start using other people's money. The next way to do it, let's partner up. So there's multiple ways to get into multifamily. And like you said, you can raise money for somebody else's deal and get on their deal that way. So there's so many different ways to get into multifamily. I think people just get, they get that paralysis because they say, well, I can't do that commercial financing. I can't do that. I, I need a million dollars for the down payment. You might need a million dollars, but it doesn't have to be your million dollars. Or maybe you bring 30,000 of that and you raise the rest of it, whatever it may be. I just think, like you said, 95% here, 5% there. I'm so many, if you look at all the multimillionaires and the billionaires around, they really started out with nothing. If you think about it, you know, you still, you look at, you know, Steve Jobs, you look at Bill Gates, barely graduated college, but they had an idea, they had a vision, and they were entrepreneurs, and they were out there trying to serve others, and that's what their companies did. Their companies were revolutionary in serving others. Yeah, it's and hearing you speak, it really seems like there's really four pieces to jumping into a new career, not necessarily jumping, but transitioning into a new career. It's one, finding what you want to do or what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Number two, learning as much as possible about it. Uh, number three, find the tools, you know, whether it's finding sources of creative financing or find, finding those other ways to enter that market or that job. And then find the partners, find the people who really complement you and that you can build and grow together. That's right. So you don't want to have that I'm a mentality that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that because I'm going to get burned out real quick. Um, and how do I know that? Because that's why I hit the restaurant. I mean, if I had some partners uh, helping me out, maybe scaling and doing some business development, it would have been a lot more fun. We would have been able to grow the business. You make less money per restaurant, but you have more restaurants. So you have much, much bigger asset and you spread out and diversify your risks. So um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. You do not want to do everything on your own. You can't. And, and real estate actually lends itself to the skill set. Do you like to raise money? Do you like to talk to investors? Well, hey, let's focus on that. Do you like to be the nerd and underwrite deals and and you know and just look at spreadsheets all day? Man, there's a really big big thing for that. Do you like to talk to brokers and get there and really team build? That's a great place for that. Do you like to business develop where you like to work on websites and you like to do all your email automations and all your funnels and all your copyright? That's another thing right there. Do you like to do day-to-day -day management where you're running the deals day-to-day -day and working on that? You can do that. So as you can see, there's a plethora of jobs to actually get done in the business, but you need to start. Start as small. I always say think big, but start small. If a duplex works for you and your house hacking, start there. See if you like it. See if you like the deal with tenants. See if you like the space. See if it works for you. And when it does, go on the next one. And then the next one. That's all it is. That's the blueprint right there. Think big, but start small. I like that a lot. Yeah, just take that first step, really kind of break into the market as little as you can just to be there and then expand and grow. Mm-hmm, yep. Awesome. Well, so you guys uh, get your first deals over that really two-ish year period uh, and you continue to grow the business. What are some of the things you noticed while you were growing? Uh, is it Rand or Jake and Gino that was founded first? 
uh, Jake and Gino was founded first. And then Rand was found through um, the Jake and Gino platform because we started syndicating. The syndication is a different business because at the time we had about a thousand units and we had done two live events and we had about 700 people on our database of investors and Gino can't call 700 people because Gino is doing education day to day and he's on coaching calls and he's growing that business. So we brought on Dylan Marma, who's head of investor relations and we made him a partner and ran and all of a sudden he started doing these investor calls and started getting on and starting on the writing the deals and three months, I think after he got on, we found the deal in Louisville, 130 units. We could have bought it internally ourselves, but we said, you know what? Let's go out and buy it. Let's, let's try to syndicate it. We've never done a syndication before. And we learned. We learned through podcasting. We learned through you know, other people who've done it. We syndicated the first deal in November. And then in December, we actually bought a deal internally by ourselves, just the four of our partners, because it was a syndicatable deal. It was in Knoxville. It was 146 units, a scattered site. But it was just one of those ugly ducklings that we just couldn't guarantee preferred returns the first year. So we said, you know what, we're going to take this internally. And then in February, we closed on a 243 unit deal in Louisville, a $17 million deal we syndicated. Um, so you see the progression. You start small with a 25 unit property, buying yourself all the way up to a 243 unit, $17 million purchase where you raise $4.5 million in 30 days. Doesn't happen overnight. It looks like an overnight success, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot of learning lessons. And it's like I said, you commit and then you figure it out. On our second deal, the one we just closed in February, we screwed up. We didn't open the operating agreement up quick enough. We didn't open up the LLC quick enough. So we were paused on raising capital and raising funds because you can't take money, money until you have those documents. We wasted time doing that. We sent out the emails. We lost a little bit of momentum, but that's how you learn. So, you know, the next deal, we know what to do in the next deal. So, for anybody out there, it can be daunting, but that's why having partnerships is great because you can lean on other people and other people have, you know, look at something from a different perspective and might give you that perspective. Wow, I never thought about that. So that's the amazing thing with partnerships because we all have different sets, different eyes, the way we look at things, the way we perceive things. And it just makes the partnership, makes the actual deal look more attractive. Definitely. Uh, you used a word and it's really the business model that you guys are leveraging a lot now. Uh, what is syndication? Could you kind of unpack that a little bit for our listeners? Sure. Syndication is basically you're creating a security. It's I'm getting the business with Ben. I'm going to run the business. I'm doing everything myself. Ben, you're quiet. You're not going to do anything. You're expecting a check every month. That's basically syndication. And a lot of real estate deals, <laughs> they're actually syndication and people don't even know they're creating them. If you're creating a partnership, we both need to be doing something active in the business or else you're creating a syndication. Now, I'm not an attorney. What I would do is I would call Google syndication attorneys. I can always recommend one. We love the one we use, but find out what a syndication is. Um, it's just basically you're creating, you're creating security. So there's securities laws that you have to follow um, and you get in touch with the syndication attorney. They're, they will create all the paperwork for you. Um, and it's just a way for you to create a limited partnership and a general partnership on a deal. Basically, the general partnership is me and let's say brand partners. We're the ones who are running this deal. We are signing on the debt. We are the ones who have recourse to this deal. It's a non-recourse deal. So if the deal falls out, let's say we're still guaranteeing the loan. Our loan is on. The beauty of it is we're not really putting any money into the deal for the general partnership side of it. Now, you bring in limited partners who you're raising capital from, they are limited in the fact that if they put 50000 into the deal, that's their only liability is whatever money they put into the deal. So you have two aspects of it. You have the limited partner side and the general partner side. The general partners are the guys like me and Dylan and Jake, my partner Mike, running the deal. We have no money. Then what we need to do is when we put money in, it goes in on the limited partner side. 
so which is great. So we're getting preferred rate of return on there and we're having the general partnership. And when you put these deals together as syndication, you get generate fees. You get an acquisition fee for putting a deal together. So when you put a $10 million deal together, you might get something like 2% acquisition fee. So you get a check of $200,000 at closing to put the deal together. I mean, it's a lot of work. That's why syndicators get paid. They don't get cash flow for the majority. They might get a little cash flow. The majority of the cash flow goes to the limited partners. And that's why you want to be on the LP side so you can capture some of that. And syndications, basically, the way a lot of them make money is they'll charge asset management fees based on income they're collecting from the property or the money raised. So let's say you raise a million dollars and you want to charge 1% of, uh, of um, money raised as an asset manager fee. You would collect $10,000 a year on that property to asset manage it. Then you need a property management company. We self-manage, but you can hire a property management company to manage it. That's a separate fee. Way syndicators make money is on the back end after they've owned the property three or four or five years, they hope that operations are up, properties increase in value, they will sell the property and they'll split the profits. They'll return all the capital to the investors and whatever's left over, they'll split it whatever co-promote way they have, whether it's a 70%, 30%, or 50%, whatever way they do it, and that's how they make their money. Hopefully, they refi the property out, they don't sell it, they keep it, and they, they split the refinance proceeds. That's what we'd like to do. We want to you know, hold for the long term. Definitely. So syndication is really partnering uh, with other people who don't necessarily want to be active and leveraging their money and using their money to do a deal. Uh, and yes. then from there, you as the general partner, so the one who's actually running it, you run the asset, uh, mm -hmm. you hopefully increase the operational value uh, and the consistent income that the property is getting to boost mm -hmm. the value of that property. And then mm -hmm. when you sell, you pay back your investors and then whatever's left after you pay off that initial amount, you split between the rest of you. Sound about right? That's correct. And what I would do, if anybody out there wants to learn how to syndicate, find somebody who's doing it. But also, if you really want to become active in it, become an LP. If you have some money sitting in an IRA or sitting in a savings account and you want to find out how it's done, we've had our investors where they've invested with us. We've done monthly webinars. So we're teaching our investors on a monthly basis what's going on. Well, this month, this past month, we had our, our sixth, fifth, Fifth webinar, um, since we've taken over, we've actually talking about the CapEx. We had a dog park put in, we had a gazebo put in, we had signage done, we had the uh, parking lot striped and sealed, uh, we had a couple of buildings painted. So every month we're showing the investors what we're doing. We're repositioning the tenants going from $500 a month to $700 a month in rent. So we're showing them all that. So if you want to get on with a syndicator, they might not go into that kind of depth, but you're still going to be able to I guess, tour the property to say that I own a little piece of that deal. You're going to be getting, you know, checks coming in every month. So it's a great way to have some skin in the game. And hey, all of a sudden you're in the multifamily game. So I, I would recommend and advise everybody if they want to do that, find a syndicator out there who's got a great track record, who's a good sponsor, and maybe invest some money. With them. Invest and ask what's going on. That's right. Yep. Awesome. So what are some of the different skills that you think would be important for uh, anyone getting into the game, whether it's professionally in general or real estate specifically? I think um, what people really need to find out and figure out nowadays is you need some kind of emotional intelligence. You really need to network with people and connect with people. Social media is great. I think those platforms are awesome. And you know, Zoom is great, but there's nothing like getting face-to-face -face with people. There's nothing like building rapport with people. And um, that's what real estate's all about. It's all about networking. It's all about building rapport with brokers, having them come send you the deal, getting people to like you and to like people. Actually, that's what you want in life. You want to make connections in life with people. You want to have fun with people. So um, put the Snapchat down, go out for a cup of coffee, 
and talk to somebody about real estate and enjoy it. And it's the same with your investor base. Talk to your investor base. Let them know what you're doing. Sending out emails is great. Sending out texts is great. Pick up the phone, call them, and meet them. So that's really, I think, a skill set that everyone needs to have. And it sounds pretty funny, and it sounds like, oh, yeah, well, I can do that. But really, a lot of people, are you an introvert? It's okay for an introvert because you can become an ambivert, which is basically an introvert who goes out there and steps out of his comfort zone like me and starts talking to people. If you're an extrovert, that might work against you because it's not all about you. When you're out there making a connection with people, people want to be heard. So if you're the extrovert being the life of the party and not really listening to anybody, that can work against you. You know what I'm saying? So be the ambivert. Listen and ask great questions and be there and have fun. Yeah. People want to share their stories. Give them a chance to share. Yep. Awesome. So what are some of the other things that we haven't hit on so far that you think are important to know, whether it's about real estate or really growing up and maturing in general? I think I go back to the, um, if you're going to build a business, try to build something that's scalable. I mean, don't go into, into a business that's just your passion. I had a friend who loved karate. He wanted to open up a dojo. It's his passion. But all of a sudden, his passion turned into a job and his passion turned into hatred. Have hobbies. Figure out what you like to do and maybe do that. It doesn't have to be your all like all out passion. I like multifamily for a lot of reasons. I like numbers. I was a little bit of a deal junkie. I like the math about it. I like to I like to, you know, get a good deal. I liked all those aspects, but I also liked what it could do for me. So if you're gonna go into business, really think of a business that you can scale up. And if you can't scale up, then don't do the business because it's gonna become a job you're going to start to hate it. And I think the other thing is learn technology. I mean, partner up with people who know marketing. Marketing is the biggest thing in business. People don't understand that. And for me, the other thing was sales. Um, I think everybody needs some kind of sales training. I mean, that's all we do every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether you're selling to your kids, you're selling to your spouse, you're selling to your boss, you're selling to uh, uh, a vendor, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about the hard kind of sales and the hard kind of negotiation that we had 30 years ago. I'm talking about the sales where you're actually listening to a prospect and seeing what their problem is and solving their problem. It's not about price. It's never about the price. And that's what I learned in sales because if you can solve somebody's problem, the price is not the problem. So you can always figure that out. So I think sales is the number one thing that people lack in entrepreneurship because you can have the best product on the planet, but if you're not selling it, don't make a difference. You're not going to make money. Yeah. And it seems like sales at that point becomes again, just listening to people's problems and listening to what's actually going on. Correct. Awesome. Well, we're, uh, we'll kind of start to wrap up a little bit. Uh, so what are some good resources that you would recommend for young professionals? Um, first thing I would do is I would read Napoleon Hill's Thinking Grow Rich. Uh, that really helped me out the book. I love the book. Um, Eye Opener can be a little bit lengthy, but I still think it was so worth it to read. Start reading personal development books. Start, start reading books like Zig Ziglar. Start listening to Tony Robbins. Start listening to all the old school guys out there because, I mean, it's just basically regurgitated. It's all from Napoleon Hill, and they've all brought it on. But if you can think positive messages, think the Norman Vincent Peels of the world and the Robert Cialdini's of the world, start listening to all those books. If you don't read, listen to non-audible. You should always be listening to something in the car. Always positive advice, positive information. Shut off the news. Don't listen to any of that. Um, other resources, I, like I said, I think Audible is amazing. And if you're in a space and you're in the real estate space, just start reading multifamily books. If you're in stocks, start reading books on the stock market, whatever niche you're in. Just start focusing and learning on that niche. Yeah, it's important too. You, you just kind of pointed out, surround yourself with 
the resources, with the people, with the community that you ultimately want to become a part of. I agree. So community is everything because I think, I think Tony Robbins said, it. I'm not going to, don't know how he quoted exactly, but your life is basically is a, is, is the sum total of the expectation of your peer group. So if your peer group expects you to do really well and they uphold you and they really bring you up, that's great. But if your peer group is a bunch of victim heads and not responsible, what's going to happen? You're going to be pulled down to their level. And if you can't pull them up to your level, you're going to succumb to their level. So just be careful who you surround yourself with. There's nothing wrong with surrounding yourself with certain people. Just be aware that the community and environment is everything. I mean, you know, willpower is great, but environment will beat out willpower every day of the week. So just be careful with your environment you're living in. That's why when I was at the restaurant, that was my environment. If you're the smartest guy in the room, then you've got a problem, especially if your name is Gino. So just be careful for that. Yeah, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you got to find a bigger room. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I agree. Awesome. So is there anything else you'd like to share uh, that you think is important or that really you wish you had learned when, when you were younger? Um, I think the only thing is maybe we would have gotten married a little younger if I'd met my wife and had more kids. I've only got six. I wish I could have had more. So um, I think having a family is just the best thing on the planet. Um, I think once you have a child, it just changes everything. All of a sudden you're responsible for others and it's just, it's an amazing experience. It's so much fun. I have, great, I have a great time with my children. Um, and just, just be a good role model to them. I think that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's why I love what I'm doing. Because if you can be happy at work, there's no such thing as a work-life balance. If you love work, you can work 15 hours a day. But when you're there for three or four hours, you're there with them. And you're enjoying it. You're in a great mood and you're enjoying yourself. But if you hate that job at six hours a day, you're still going to be miserable and you're home for the rest of the day. So figure out that work-life balance, figure out what you like to do, enjoy your life, enjoy your job. When you're home, with the people you love, you'll be there. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, I grew up in a big family and it's, it's always a lot of fun, especially when people find out like I'm the youngest of five, so I don't, it's awesome. not quite to that level. <laughs> it's but, awesome though, isn't it? I mean, it's not, there's no such thing as I, it's we. I mean, it's, you know, you just, you got to cook every night for eight people. It is what it is. We all get together and we don't complain. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no such thing, there's no such thing as just I, I. We share. That's yeah. what it comes down to. It's a great, it's, it's a great life. It's awesome. Yeah. And there's no, no two kids are ever the same. And when you get that many in a room, it's, it's got to keep you on your toes. <laughs> uh -huh. It does. It's awesome. I love it. Well, awesome. Gino, what are some good ways that people can get a hold of you? Sure. Just simple. Go to jakeandgino.com. We've got all our podcasts there. We've got hundreds of blog articles there. Um, we've got our resources there. And just go on iTunes. We have a pro, uh, podcast called Wheel Our Profits. It's the number one podcast on iTunes. We've got a podcast called Movers and Shakers, where we talk about our students closing deals. And I'm actually launching a third podcast with my wife, which is called The Multifamily Zone. And that's going to be focusing on uh, families, how entrepreneur families can work together, how spouses can support each other in this venture and how you can grow with your kids and how you can connect with your kids in business. So that's going to be interesting. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool project. Yeah, that is. I just, you know what? She, my wife became a certified life coach about three or four months ago and she's been bothering me. I said, all right, you know what? Let's do a show together. Let's get on and let's help families out. And let's help families grow and let's be the role models that we're supposed to be. Yeah, so, if you want to, may as well. It will. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, Gino, I really appreciate your time. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for, for coming on the show. Ben, thanks for having me. And everybody, take care. Let's go make it happen. Take care. Thanks, Gino.
And that wraps up our show with Gino Barbaro. Now, there's a lot going on in here, and there was a lot to unpack throughout this episode. But the biggest overarching principle is number one, commitment, and number two, building a scalable business. Now, first, commitment. Commitment's important because as Gino says, you have to know what you want to do and then actually act on it. It's about bringing clarity to what your purpose is and what your why is, and then aligning your actions, even if it takes a few years, toward pursuing and reinforcing that why. The second key takeaway from this show was building a scalable business. Now, what Gino really hit on, and especially is apparent uh, within the restaurant industry specifically, is that you have to find people whose skills complement yours to build a scalable business. If your business doesn't run when you walk away from it, you're in trouble because then you're spending too much time working in the weeds, working on paying people for uh, for services that they give, working on making sure your marketing's up to snuff, rather than focusing on where your business is going and charting your business's course. From Taste for Tenacity show number eight, this is Ben Trella. Thanks for listening.